0: Hi, this is Andy Buckley, David Wallace, CFO Dunder Mifflin Corporate. You're listening
1: to That's What She Said.
0: That's What She Said, episode 52, Crime Aid. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling. So.
2: That's what she said!
1: <laughs> Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy. Roll around town like a hero. I got you on my mind, just like all the time. Pedal down, nowhere to go.
0: And welcome to episode 52 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your Human Resources Coordinator, Matt Summer and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the fourth episode of Season 5, entitled Crime Aid, which originally aired Thursday, October 23rd, 2008. Who says there's no consequences for sex? Michael and Holly's canoodling leaves Dunder Mifflin ripe for the plucking, so what better way to salve everyone's fears than to hold an auction? Surely there's no downside to selling off people, right? Michael scores, Dwight delivers an ultimatum, and Jim faces a crisis of conscience. Well, Kevin and I disliked this episode, we are not that couple. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler.
1: It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's a scuttlebutt?
0: And joining me at the water cooler this week is, of course, our... Dear friend, our assistant to the regional manager, Kevin Crossman. Kevin, how you doing?
3: I am Kevin, and I will do your podcast <laughs> recording and editing. Fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can we please not have anyone else storm off the stage? These mics are really getting expensive. I have to say. I,
3: I'm I'm trying to have fun with this episode. Wasn't the the laugh out loud. Uh, Episode that we've maybe seen in the past, but uh, I did enjoy it, so I'm, I'm trying to get into the mood here. All
0: right, well, I appreciate that. Now, let's start off with this, and this is kind of a funny episode, kind of a funny coincidence, Kevin, because as we're recording this right now, NBC is playing the bowdlerized version of the 40-year-old version, and I got to say, I have, I'm admitting something right now. I've never seen this movie before. <laughs> This is my first time actually seeing the film, and the funny thing about it is that there's a lot of coincidental material that's lining up here with our episode this week. We have in the movie, of course, Andy, played by Steve Carell, uh, and Catherine Keener talk about how, you know, oh, it's so skeevy and nasty to have these third dates, equal sex kind of stuff going on, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, of course, then we have Michael Scott here with his classic, well, it's the third date, so we're going to get down and dirty. I have to say, you know, if you're a big Holly and Michael fan, I guess like I have professed to be, this was an episode that made you smile. And Thursday Matt was very positive about this episode. A lot of kind of goofy behavior back and forth between Steve Carell and Amy Ryan. And I hesitate to use this word, but uh, they were adorable.
3: Yes, I I think I agree with you. It is probably too good to be true, but I am enjoying every moment of this episode. And it made me smile throughout Um, didn't make me laugh, but it did make me smile and I did enjoy it. Now, I also my, my take on this episode was that it really was kind of a very special episode of The Office, starring Rainn Wilson as Dwight, the man whose heart is broken and must try whatever he can to win back the heart. Of his beloved Angela When we talk about Emmy uh, nominations Coming <laughs> up consideration. We, we know that this will be One of Rain Wilson's episodes Because he was uh, pretty big and bold In this episode I gotta he say He
0: was emoting like never before Now you know I have to say that um, We didn't hear Chewbacca this time But this is very similar to uh, Last year Where this whole plotline first started Where Angela broke up with him of course So Dwight is the sad sad guy trying to make that last ditch attempt to uh, to win his girl back and i have to say that we've been talking this last couple of weeks about how season four has sort of villainized dwight made him much more of a douchebag uh, the guy that you love to hate here again you uh, you had more of a redemptive dwight you had uh, dwight we're feeling sorry for him we um, and then at the end he steps up and as much as he's been abusing Phyllis in the past, he comes to uh, appreciate that she tried to help him. Uh, in the end, of course, he decides it's not worth it. But you know, <laughs> it's, it's the thought that counts, I guess. So,
3: although he was a little bit of a dick the way he did his ultimatum
0: with Angela, I
3: think if he'd taken a more "I love you" sort of approach, it might have been met with more positive ears.
0: <laughs> well, they don't say those kind of things to each other. He's. <laughs> What do you say, I'm almost positive that she almost said it once or something like that, he says in there?
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, I don't know, that's just not the Shrute Farm's way. That was a great visual gag, though. I love that, um, dump that singing buffoon or you're going to lose this. (laughs) Points down to the the Dwight
3: Shrute junk. I, I did like the uh, the singing buffoon. That was a good line. And and I have to say, you know, I've I've gone on record numerous times. This Phyllis is not one of my favorite characters, but I have to say she did do some nice things this episode. Many many times today in this episode, trying to do the right thing. And I guess I have to give credit where credit is due. I even liked her move on Michael. Um, <laughs> in the conference room was right. like, very appropriate.
0: Well, this is a very Philocentric episode, which is uh, kind of surprising, I guess, because we don't usually get that in the show. But uh, the more that I think about it, you're right, she's very integral to the episode. She helps Dwight. She, you know, kind of shuts Michael up at the conference room meeting. She is the person that saves the auction, in fact, at the end with her fabulous auction for a hug. <laughs>
3: Which took in more than half of the total that they brought in. Exactly. Yeah, I
0: love that uh, Andy bids on it. He's like, "Well, I gotta get a hug from someone, <laughs> unless you're gonna do it." Not
3: here, right. <laughs> He's willing Very... to pay
0: 250 bucks, man. I feel bad for that poor
3: guy, especially in the context of his girlfriend's been going out for booty calls with the guy across the office.
0: Right, and I, I'm assuming though that that has you know that has ceased from the last few weeks, and uh, which is what's making it more serious, perhaps. I I guess. Dwight is, you know, he's shocked and baffled by that save a date notice, (laughs) which you can, of course, get uh, and look at on NBC.com. And, of course, now should we talk about Andy's date that they've set for their wedding? Well, what is it? It's uh, 2009 uh, on Thanksgiving Day. Figures that they have all well, plenty of time, right? Uh, plenty of traveling time for everybody having that four-day right. weekend and everything else. So
3: that seems like it's a little quite a ways out. I was sort of hoping for an earlier date, so that maybe they could resolve this whole situation a little bit sooner.
0: I'm assuming that they don't want to play that game. They don't want to play that um, at you know Dwight runs in at the altar kind of stuff. That's so typical mm-hmm. in most most other kind of cornier sitcoms. So by putting it that far out there's less investment perhaps in it.
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um other stuff in this episode. You know, the um Holly and Michael stuff. I you know we we've been talking about this and I think that we kind of sort of called it last week and it wasn't like it was some big mystery to figure this out once we knew that she was only going to be here for a limited run. Um what did you think about the way that this episode ended with uh, David Wallace ominously Glaring at them and saying, "No, I didn't know they were dating
3: well i I always love David Wallace first and foremost. He seems like a nice guy. He usually brings some interesting bits to the show, and in this case, I you know there's no Jan or Ryan up at the corporate, so David Wallace just becomes the de facto person in that role, so he's gonna have to make a call here pretty soon, and certainly we have the happy couple they're in love. It's so beautiful, but as we know, Amy Ryan is leaving so there has to be some reason for her to leave, and seems like David Wallace putting down the hammer would be one i don't know i i'd rather I'd rather Holly leave the show because she got fired or transferred or whatever than for her to have some sort of stupid argument with Michael about how the office is family or not a family or something like that
0: yeah, I agree um it, it was a little bit forced, and as you said though, that's kind of the the corner that we've been painted into because there is no middle manager in the office anymore. Uh, Ryan's gone, Jan's gone As you said, now we're we're stooping down to having the CFO of Thunder Mifflin Be the, the the flunky that comes in and yells at Michael it Really, we kind of talked about this on the blog page these last few days Where there's going to have to be I mean, trying to think about how they're going to break them up I mean, there's going to have to be some kind of an ultimatum Or something given where she has to leave And if you look at the episode description for next week You'll kind of see what is going to happen with uh, with her and Michael in this situation Uh, During Baby Shower, we talked about missed opportunities as far as BJ Novak's Ryan uh, meeting Jan, and Mm -hmm. I felt like this week we had another one of those episode moments where, yeah, okay, David Wallace comes in and, and there's a nice shot of Ryan kind of slumping down with, you know, putting his hand in front of his face. But again, I mean, where's the climax? Where's the, where's the total shock and outrage that this guy is, <laughs> is still sitting there, that he's being employed? I, I almost feel like Wallace would have a bigger issue with that than with uh, Michael and Holly being together.
3: Now, of course, a lot of people com- were probably complaining, you know, this is the second week in a row where B.J. Novak has absolutely no lines whatsoever in the episode or in the deleted scenes. But I have done some research, and according to the Screen Actors Guild, when you duck your head, that does count as dialogue.
0: Well, let's so. keep in mind that he is a writer on the show, and, and also I believe he's been promoted to executive producer. Yeah, he might not have lines or speak a lot of times in the show, but he's got other stuff going on. So, uh, I'm
3: sorry. I, you know, I know he was one of the five original cast members, but when you have your name on the credits, I'm sorry, but I expect that if you're in the episode and we see him, that you're going to have a line, at least one, somewhere.
0: Well, I, as You know, as a writer and as a producer, I'm sure that he could have lines if he wanted to. I'm assuming that they're just sacrificing him for the sake of the other actors on the show, which is fine with me because the whole kind of cartoonish supervillain shtick is, you know, I don't want to see that every week. I'm fine with the way things are, and and that's a lesson to be learned, Kevin. That you get your uh, sign your contract. (laughs) Right and nice and early in in the show And uh, you can ride that out then for the rest of the seasons Let's talk a little bit about the Jim and Pam stuff Because we've been talking the last few weeks About how we've been really missing Jenna Fisher on the show And NBC really annoyed the hell out of me By promoting the fact that she got a part-time job at corporate In the promo materials When that whole plotline amounted to 30 seconds (laughs) At the beginning of the show in the cold open.
3: And it wasn't even a very good cold open either.
0: Well, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Man, I really hate how they're doing this. i got to say, this is just like Season 3 in reverse, except we during Season 3 we actually saw Jim <laughs> most of the time. So we're not getting any Pam in the show. And that's going to continue. And if you look on the, the next couple well, of
3: weeks... Well, I don't know. This next week it actually sounds like a very Pam-centric episode.
0: Well, that that, that might be... But she's not going to be in the office.
3: No, but she will be in a office next week. Well,
0: <laughs> but she was in a office this week, and that only lasted well, it, about thirty seconds. So,
3: well, but it sounds like there's going to be like an actual plotline for her.
0: Yeah, it sounds that way. I'm going to see how it plays out because at this point, <laughs> at this point, I'm, I don't know. But I do have to say, Kevin, again, I was, on Thursday night, I was incredibly, incredibly upset by the fact that. I've been trying to live a spoiler-free life with The Office this year,
3: mm-hmm. not
0: looking at any promos, only looking one episode ahead, whatever the TV guide is for next week. Right. So I had, I had avoided all spoilers. At 7 o'clock, 7.15 or something on Thursday, I'm watching My Name is Earl, and NBC plays a frickin' promo showing freaking Roy coming in and talking to Jim and that pissed me off so much that it's such a huge like plot twist spoiler thing that if that would have happened without my knowledge I would have really been oh man what's going to happen here but that was right.
3: why do they do that you know I agree with you that, that that was a really momentous point especially given some of the things that happens earlier to Jim and to get spoiled and know that it was coming I think was sort of uh, annoying especially in this case you thought Jim was was going to be a tough bar for you know that sort of bonding with the warehouse guys and and obviously if you know roy is coming in you know roy isn't showing up at the office so the minute jim wins the auction you know what's going to happen next and so i agree that that's that's a pretty big spoiler and it's too bad that nbc did that
0: well i understand i mean i know to them they think oh wow let's hype this up because yeah this is a big moment that people want to see but right speaking of which i just saw when i was watching the The 40-Year-Old Version on NBC earlier this evening. I saw another spoiler promo for the uh, Halloween episode next week and got to see what the people were wearing as their Halloween costumes. That's right. And it made made me want to strangle someone.
3: So, Matt, if you learned your lesson, do you know what the lesson is that you should have learned?
0: Not to watch NBC, ever?
3: No, you should have watched The 40-Year-Old Version when it came out three and a half years ago. (laughs) Let's
0: go ahead and just get started, I guess. Of course. As we said, uh, Michael and Holly are all... A glow from their date, where we left off with them last week. So they're all um, out having fun, playing the putt-putt golf, and just really nice, warm banter back and forth. They're perfect for each other. Everything is wonderful and everything is perfect. And uh, Michael, now that they're getting close to their third date, he's got a bit of a, a bit of a question.
2: In my opinion, the third date is traditionally the one where you have sex does Holly feel that way I don't know I will probably find out tonight if she starts having sex with me I'll know for sure oh the mall could be fun yeah we could go to the food court get different foods some of what we order depends on if we're having sex after wow elephant in the room (laughs) are
3: we do you think do you think we're going to have sex tonight hell yeah
0: I don't know what do you think about that it
3: would be very difficult to get for the rest of the day after she used the hell yeah line.
0: <laughs> Especially for Michael, that, anyway.
3: I think that might be one of those, you know, some <laughs> some personal business I didn't Exactly. Into. It's
0: an uh, early early day today. Let's, uh, <laughs> or else take that long lunch or something. I don't know. Yeah, that was definitely a long day. and uh, they
2: <laughs>
0: So right there, perfect. I mean, even the, Michael makes his st- stupid comments there about, this great segue from talking about uh, food court to talking about whether they're gonna have sex or not,
3: I thought that line was so cool though i just <laughs> I just love that you know well, you know some of that what we order depends on whether we're having sex after you know, and you you seem so natural and nonchalant about the whole thing I that actually was a pretty suave line, oh man, I don't
0: know if that says about you or what that says about me, <laughs> but i don't know, I wasn't too impressed, but maybe I'll try that out next time.
3: Uh. The one thing I did like was the earlier scene that you didn't play, where they were talking about, you know, whether they should go out or not, and she was saying that she doesn't care, she's too eager, and of course that's totally like Michael. I mean, it's like they're totally getting set up that these two are so in sync, and of course the fact that she's right on the yeah, hell yeah, let's have sex, not oh Michael, I don't know, we have to decide it's not appropriate to talk about. it, She's like hell yeah, you know, so. It's just so great to watch you two together.
0: I don't get that. Just, let me ask you a question here, because this is kind of weird. Uh, they sit there then the whole day and wait, and then they have reservations or something
3: at right. the food court. And No, 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 no. They went to a restaurant for their, their meal.
0: And they sit there in the office for like three and a half hours playing Crazy Eights.
3: Well, yeah, no, I think Holly was, you know, getting itchy too, because she then she dragged him into the stairwell to make out. Before the date even started, so... Well, let's
0: try. I mean, what was he waiting for? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can't understand Michael's mind sometimes, I have to say. Yeah.
3: Now, there, You know, there was a lot of documentary stuff in this episode. Oh, way more than ever. With the microphones, and then, of course, the scene with Phyllis and Dwight, too. But it was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, this was the most documentary-aware episode, I think, of the show since the pilot. Like you said, lots of references, Phyllis saying... I know, and then pointing at the camera and saying they know, or, you know, or pointing at us, right. the audience, and then uh, Michael and Holly, when they're kind of going to, they go back into the office and, and go into the stairwell, and she's like, oh, can they hear us? Not if I turn down the volume knob, and of course he turns it up all the way, right. <laughs> so we can hear them uh, getting busy a little bit, but yeah, very aware, very uh, very documentary aware, is that I've kind of t- we've talked about that before that we have gone many episodes without any mention of it being a documentary. Is is this something that we want to see more of? Do we want to tone it down? Uh, is that too much? What do you think?
3: I don't think it's too much. I think that making more references to it, I think, is better because I think for you know most of season three and four, it was you, know, you hardly even tell that it was a documentary. I think a few more references is a good idea.
0: This might be some of the influence from the new writers that have come on in season five and uh, Mike Scher being gone, Greg Daniels having to split his time between this and the Amy Poehler show. Maybe that's kind of changing their direction on that a little bit. Uh, Kevin, this, we didn't talk about it last week. Uh, Last week's episode was written by Aaron Scher, uh, who is a veteran of, believe it or not, everybody loves Raymond. (laughs) And this week, Another newbie, uh, written by Charlie Grandy, who, believe it or not, is the son of Gopher from the Love Boat, (laughs) the congressman himself.
3: Well, the guy obviously knows his (laughs) comedy.
0: Well, he has a pretty good resume. He was a writer on the Daily Show, I think, uh, for quite a while. So, I I just thought that was funny. Anybody that grew up uh, like you and I in the '70s has uh, fond memories—well, memories at least (laughs) of (laughs) of the Love Boat and, uh, and good old congressman gopher so that's the thing they they hang out in the office till uh till late at night waiting for their dinner engagement then they leave and unfortunately when they come back the next morning they find out that they didn't quite lock up
4: yes that's correct i need a cancel check to cancel checks from ten thousand and one to ninety thousand
2: great they
0: stole my laptop
1: yeah well they stole my surge protector
2: how does that even
1: compare oscar i'm now going to be prone to surges
2: oh my god what happened
1: we were robbed last night bravo watson Looks like a classic seven-man job. Okay, security tapes were stolen, motives financial or possibly vintage HP computer collectors. Nobody steals from Creed Bratton and gets away with it. The last person to do this disappeared. His name? Creed
4: Bratton. That wasn't us, right? You remember to lock the doors?
1: No, did you?
4: Michael, I think this is our fault.
2: Oh, Oh, no, my God. Oh, my God. So much for sex without consequences.
0: You know, this, there's so much good stuff in there. This, but this thing, them leaving the door unlocked, this seems like much bigger of a crime than the whole kissing, dating thing.
3: Let's talk about this. So the one night they happen to leave, the doors open, is the night they get robbed. Do we think it's an inside job? Is it just random?
0: Oh, well, or, it's Creed. It's got to be Creed.
3: You think Creed was, you know, he saw that they came in and left the doors open. He knew this was his opportunity where they, Well, if anything happens, they'll get the blame.
0: Well, someone someone on the blog page commented on the fact that didn't Creed sleep in the office four days a week? Yeah. And, and what was going on? And yeah, that's my thing. My My guess is that he clean the place out that that would make much more poetic sense than someone just kind of randomly coming in to the office because don't they have to lock the gate too with the big chain yeah so that seems kind of weird that they would what they they left the door unlocked and then didn't lock the chain gate or they did lock the chain gate but didn't lock the door i don't know whatever it's let's not get too into it
3: (laughs) well when does when does hank leave i mean Uh, he must have left before they left but you know
0: well, so. remember from was that night out last year where yeah. Hank comes back, I don't know what time that was. He left before nine, so But that was the whole yeah. thing. They couldn't get out of the gate. They couldn't Oh
3: man, yeah. this is another continuity year, Kevin. Oh no <laughs> Let's let's focus on what the things that we can uh, look at. That, that that montage you played was that was really the really funny stuff in this episode. The Creed, the Creed line topped even last week's amazing line about Omaha Beach. That was such a funny line. And so what and, are we
0: assuming that he killed somebody and took his name or what? Was
3: <laughs> hey, you watch Mad Men just like me. You know how this works.
0: Creed's the John Draper tag. of his time. <laughs> oh man. But
3: you know. Canceled checks from ten thousand and one to ninety thousand. What? Someone stole a bunch of checks? Eighty thousand checks. And then, you know, the the scene with Oscar and Kevin very funny. Pro thrown Pro surges. But why does <laughs> Oscar have a laptop? Why does he even need a laptop? He doesn't go anywhere. Why? You know, shouldn't somebody like Jim or some one of the other salespeople? Shouldn't they have a laptop for presentations well, or? Whatever. Why is why is this? He's,
0: he's got to keep that gay porn somewhere, Kevin. I don't know.
3: I can't. <laughs> but I did. I did really love the line about vintage HP. Yeah, computer <laughs> out,
0: was HP, awesome. HP computer collectors. I love, yeah, the classic <laughs> seven man <job>. shop. <laughs> uh, and then
3: the, ta- the the capper was Michael's line. So much for sex without consequences. That was just just floored me.
0: This is where the office or the episode it, it takes a little bit of a weird turn because who. I don't know. I'm not really sure where Michael comes up with this idea, and I'm not really sure how how they managed to get it up and running so quickly, but, uh, well, I'll let Michael explain. I'm going to make everything all right.
2: Conference room, 15 minutes. Half an hour. To recoup their losses, I am planning a little charity auction where people from all over Scranton can come and bid on our goods and services. I'm calling it Crime Aid. It's like Farm Aid, but instead of farms fighting against AIDS, it is us fighting against our own poverty. I think it's a fun idea. We'll auction off people, like in the olden days. Who would ever come to this? I don't know. It could be any number of people. It could be a pedestrian. It could be an old person. It could be a Lukey Lou. Or it could be a Bruce Springsteen fan. Michael scored the big ticket item, Springsteen tickets. The boss scored the boss. Yeah. (sighs) I think that's pretty boss. <laughs> you know, he knows how to get things. He got me. <laughs> Whoa. Um. Twice.
0: <laughs> of course there's the another another insensitive racial comment directed at Stanley. family. <laughs> uh, the whole I didn't put that in there but the whole Phyllis talks about how it was fun and how her sorority used to do that. And Michael goes on this big speech about, as you mentioned, well, was this a, soror- a real sorority or one that you couldn't get into, so you made up your own fake sorority? And uh, she slams him down, tells him to move on. Just I don't know. I love <laughs> I love the way that he says "lukey Lou for some reason. That cracked me up.
3: Yeah, I didn't, that was the part that I didn't really understand because if they're going to have an auction, did they, did this thing all just come together in one day? Shouldn't they have done maybe a little promotion and tried to actually get real people to come? Uh, that, that part just seemed a little, weird to me
1: yeah I, I did
3: I, I did like his whole rant or whatever it was where he what's the point point? and then the, the <laughs> whole thing he was just going around and around and around until Jim stopped him I thought that was amusing
0: but I mean I, I guess the idea of course is that what they're supposed to provide like Kevin rather than providing taxes maybe he would have scrantonicity play <laughs> at somebody's house or something I mean that seems like it'd be much more valuable valuable skill
3: I was just gonna say, I, 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 you gotta think about the value. So maybe Texas would be better. I don't know.
0: But in any case, let's, uh, let's go ahead and kick off, then the auction. They get everything worked out. Everything is, uh, is put together. And Michael hints at the fact, as you got from that last clip, that he, has scored some awesome Bruce Springsteen tickets, and he wants to make the Bruce Springsteen music the center point of the auction, of course. And Daryl uh, gives us a little bit of information on Mike's top ten. Springsteen hits.
3: Mike gave me a list of his top 10 Springsteen songs. Three of them were Hugo Lewis and
1: the News, one was Tracy Chapman Fast Car, and my personal favorite, Short People.
2: Okay, this is the moment that you have all been waiting for. Our first item up for bids tonight is something I consider to be very boss indeed. It is a yoga lesson from Holly Flax. I would like to start the bidding off at $300. $300. Do I hear $300? $300. Hey, better, better, better. Hey, better. Swing. Better $300. $300. $300. Anybody $300. $400. Who wants hit or Do I see somebody in the back? Is there somebody in the back? $450. Sold for $300 to me. What the hell's that? It's the only gavel I could find. It squeaks when you bang. That's what she said. All right, is that our, is
0: that our first document that that's what she said this season? I think so. All right, yeah, well.
3: Mike, Michael's feeling very comfortable they around that he can show that that's what she said <laughs> around again.
0: Man, I, I don't know what to make of that scene. It was pure nonsense. Blah, <laughs> blah,
3: blah, blah, blah.
0: I mean, he starts just like, mumbling words after a while.
3: Swing, but <laughs> Now, did you notice the goal? The, with the, the, with yeah. the, how much they're trying to raise? Thirty-four hundred dollars. Well, and then for some then the ridiculous reason, yeah, to, to a million, to a million. <laughs> so
0: every time she's filling in some sale, it's like this little tiny, insignificant little red line at the very bottom of the. <laughs> thermometers so yeah i was going to talk about that michael's incompetent showmanship comes through after that holly thing and of course michael has no idea how to how to bid he, he starts bidding things higher <laughs> when no one's bidding on them um, right. and daryl then begs him to go next and daryl i guess he's come up with a pretty ingenious scheme he auctions off the chance to have a drink with him and the warehouse crew leaving immediately <laughs> <laughs> to whoever wins, and you know it's kind of funny and sad at the same time that Michael then is up there. He's like, "Wow, you know what? I, I'm gonna bid on this because I've, you know, I, I've been dreaming about this moment." <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. It's a conflict of interest, man. Can't can't vote. That was a
3: good ad <laughs> by Daryl, I think.
0: Can't bid, and uh, so Jim, as you said, flips up his panel, bids five bucks. Daryl tells him sold, <laughs> and they all walk out the door to uh, to go meet their destiny somewhere else. So,
3: you know, they got a lot of really good things up here for auction, really valuable. What will be up next? I can't even imagine.
0: All right. Well, after Daryl gets done and Jim makes his quick escape here, we have a a few other auction items from the (laughs) other staff members in the office.
2: Well, this next item is sure to spring steam from your ears if you don't win it. It just says Creed. Yeah, that's all inclusive. Hi. I'm
1: Kevin, and I'll do your taxes.
2: Let's hear an opening bit, everybody. Who's first? Kevin, do your taxes. He's the tax man. Kevin, the tax man. Federal and state. Federal and state. Fine. Okay, all right. I would appreciate it if people would stop storming off the stage. I don't know, you got to love that. They show up the crowd,
0: and everyone's just standing there with their head looking down, and... <laughs> He <laughs> shot of good old Hank like shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor for Kevin. I'm telling you, he should have, should have gone with the Scranton City bid.
3: You know, now that now that you mention it, maybe that would be more valuable. <laughs> Scranton City lasts only a night, but tax evasion charges can last a lifetime.
0: So uh, Michael keeps uh, as this auction goes on. Michael keeps building up, building up to the big item, supposedly the big Springsteen tickets. But unfortunately, things don't go quite the way that everyone. Expects.
2: We are getting there, folks. Slow and steady. Well, well, have we been blessed today? Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. David Wallace! Woo! Hey Michael, thanks, thanks, everybody. What are you getting to Bruce? Uh just a few more items. Bruce,
1: Bruce, Bruce,
2: Bruce, 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 Bruce. All right, all right, all right, right, all right. Here we go, here we go. All right,
1: big ticket item.
2: All right, in my pocket. I have two tickets. Oh, where are those? Has anyone seen an envelope with Bruce Springsteen front row tickets and backstage passes? passes? Anybody seen something like lying around? I think they were stolen. I think they were stolen and they're gone forever. The Springsteen tickets seem too good to be true, but a lot of Michael seems too good to be true. So far it's all true. But yeah, those tickets really seem too good to be true.
1: No. I did not know that Michael
0: was dating Holly. So I don't know. What do you think about that? I don't think he just engineers this huge scam, claiming that he has tickets, and then stands up there and fumbles around.
3: Anybody who knows Michael Scott can't feel too disappointed or ripped off because I think everyone had to view those. Tickets miraculously coming together, especially for talking about it happening all in one day. You, you should have viewed that sale with some skepticism. The fact that he kind of did the stupid thing there at the end—I don't think anyone's going to be like, "Oh my God, I was so looking forward to it."
0: Well, I, every, I think people were. A bunch of people got up and left as soon as he said that he didn't have the tickets anymore. So Everyone—I think everyone—bought into it, uh, other than, well, Holly maybe apparently, but. He, you know, he comes out. At first, I was like, I think, thinking that he really did lose them, or they really did get stolen, or something, because that's kind of a typical Michael maneuver. But then he pretty much admits to her that, yeah, that whole me having the tickets was kind of a gray area. Right. <laughs> uh,
3: now, now you played a little bit of the clip there. David Wallace comes in to um, support the branch, and he offers up the uh, staying at his place at Martha's Vineyard for a weekend as for an auction. Now, Matt, if you were a CFO for a major firm, would you allow any of your employees to stay at your place at Martha's <laughs> Venient for the weekend?
0: Well, but that's why David Wallace is the greatest corporate executive ever. He's a fabulous guy. What can I say? He drove two hours, plus he offered up his vacation home. And I'm hoping it went for a decent price, because that was actually a pretty attractive uh, auction item. So.
3: <laughs> well, it couldn't have gone for much, because they made it a total of $1,803, and there was 1000 from the hug and 300 from when Michael bought the yoga lesson. So that only leaves 503 for minus $5 else. for Jim. <laughs> <So> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a good point, good point. Um, probably got it
3: for a couple hundred bucks.
0: There's, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, the ominous, I did not know about that.
3: Let's. And he looked, he looked pretty pissed, too.
0: Yeah, it, it, they show a, a little scene there of Michael and Holly kind of making out in the warehouse, and he looks over when he's talking to Oscar and sees that now. Here's my question because somebody on the blog page said that the real reason that it was a huge deal is because HR is the intermediary between the employees and the management, and that's why it was such a big deal. I don't know. I mean, is this a big deal just because of that, or is it a big deal because of Michael's history with the whole Jan thing?
3: All of the above, <laughs> or everything? Because <laughs> you
0: know, if it comes down to that, we you know we know from past seasons the whole love contract thing, and. This is kind of the ironic thing, I guess, is that something like 85% of the office are now engaged in HR love contracts, so I don't know who's not. Kevin and, and Oscar and Creed are the only ones that aren't getting busy or something
3: in the office. That's true, yes, in some fashion or another. Stanley. But, yeah, you know, I think that Michael being involved with anybody in the office is a bad deal, like you said, because of his history with Jan, but even more so with, with HR because of the, the reasons you mentioned. So, And because she is technically a corporate employee, uh, she's got a report up through her management chain is kind of different than when if someone's reporting up through Michael's management chain, and he can kind of block but corporate view of that.
0: Well, you think it would be worse be, or be, be better because he's not, like, her boss. Well, There's it, less, it's com- been, less conflict of interest if you're dating an employee. So,
3: it's, it's better in that respect, but like you were saying, because of her position, she really has to be a mediator, and obviously she's not going to typically be mediating with a uh, you know, fully open mind if Michael's one of the uh, protagonists or antagonists <laughs> in some sort of conflict.
0: Yeah, I guess that's that's true. And let's go ahead and just talk about this now a little bit, because the promo for next week is uh, called Employee Transfer, and it says in the description that Michael and Holly take a road trip to Nashua to uh, to check things out. So I'm assuming that's going to be the end of things next week, that she moves on to a different branch?
3: Well, that would be one way to interpret it. I guess I can't really say for sure. I mean, when I saw an employee transfer and it says the Pam is embarrassed and she's the only person at corporate wearing a costume on Halloween, I thought, well, maybe she's officially getting transferred to corporate.
0: I guess. It's ambiguous, I guess. I didn't really think about that. But,
3: but you're right. It's probably more likely a Michael and Holly situation there.
0: So she gets put in the national branch or something, and yeah. Michael maybe has a crisis where he has to decide what to do. Or stay with her or whatever and then he can't leave the family, so he ends up alone and miserable again for the rest of the show. <laughs>
3: <laughs> all is well.
0: Uh, Alright, well let's go ahead and get into the Dwight plot line here. As we have been tracking the last five weeks, of course, Dwight is messing around with Angela but still kind of thrown in Nandy's face, but Angela's not breaking it off with Andy, still going on with him and it kind of sinks to a new low or a new sense of reality for Dwight when uh, Mr. Bernard comes around with the save the date.
1: And, uh oh, I am right in assuming that Dwight is short for D-Money. That's what I wrote on your save the date. You set a date.
4: What are you making? A knife. Making a knife with a knife.
1: You got a better way?
4: Want to talk about it? About what? You know I know. You know they know.
1: I know none of that. And if I did, you'd be the last to know. A lot of people
0: really love that line there, you're making a knife with a knife.
3: (laughs) I I loved it too, i got to (laughs) say.
0: He's sitting in the break room whittling away on a big piece of wood. venting his frustrations uh, over the save-the-date announcement. Dwight is at a crisis, and this is where we get a really interesting Dwight and Phyllis plotline during the rest of the episode, as we kind of talked about there. She steps up and, uh, and and tries to give him some help, offers a shoulder to cry on, and as much as he rebuffs her though, he cannot stay away because it's just getting a little, a little bit too real for him, and he has to talk to her some more.
1: She introduced me to so many things pasteurized milk sheets monotheism presents on your birthday preventative medicine I just don't
4: get it what don't you get
1: why is she marrying andy
4: angela's not really a risk taker and andy's not really at risk
1: i know she loves me phyllis i am sure of it she practically told me so
4: then you need to give her an ultimatum tell her she needs to make a choice you or andy
1: Listen to me close, because I'm only going to say this once. You either break off your engagement with that singing buffoon, apologize, and then date me, or you can say goodbye to this.
4: I think you have me confused with another person. I
1: said I was only going to say it once. You have until 6.14 p.m. A lot of stuff in there. (laughs) She practically told me.
0: (laughs) Great line. I I like their relationship with the two of them in this episode.
1: Well,
3: again, Phyllis is trying to do the right thing, and I think we've learned... Uh, the way that they constructed some of these bits of information, I think, was actually very well done because it really does illustrate the differences between Andy and Dwight from Angela's perspective. And uh, Phyllis talks about Andy being a safe choice and all that. And, of course, you have Dwight talking about how she introduced him to all of these things like (laughs) sheets and pasteurized milk. And that shows you right there the kind of effort it takes to date Dwight. And I can understand maybe Angela's a little tired of having to do all that stuff. And then, of course, Andy, this scene where they're talking about the the break-in, and Andy says, you're always safe with me. I'm a very good screamer. So, of course, that's completely opposite of Dwight. Dwight would have a very strong, non-screamer type of reaction. And then he talks about wanting to move to Disney Celebration Village. Yeah, I
0: was going to ask and, you about that, Kevin. I know you're a big Disney guy, so what can you tell right. us about that?
3: Well, Disney Celebration Village, I mean, it's a, a, a city that Disney built uh, just south of Disney World, where it's like a sort of this uh, utopian planned community and something like that where, and, and of course, Angela says she would love that very much. Well, what are the chances of Dwight wanting to move away from shrewd farms and all of that tradition? Not very much. So I think we're starting to see a little bit about, well, maybe Angela is not so crazy to stay with Andy.
0: Yeah, I think that'd be an interesting twist if she actually kept going with him and just went through with it. And, and, Dwight, and it, Dwight's on the outs, because you laid out a good case there. I mean, that's a lot of, for a, a woman who loves her cats and uh, everything else in her baby posters and wants to live in Celebration Village, you know, the beef farm's not the place for her. I, sp- I, I My only question is, though, in the... If she introduces some monotheism, what the hell was he doing before that? <laughs> Praying <laughs> to the Norse gods
3: or something? <laughs> <laughs> Probably something like that. You know, I, again, I really do think the confrontation there, uh, Dwight took a very poor choice in his tact, because uh, calling Andy a buffoon might be fair, but why should she have to apologize? And very confrontational there, and I think that that was the wrong way to go.
0: Well, he still feels... You know, like I said, all the way from last year, he still feels like he's the one that uh, has been wronged, that he only was trying to help her and trying to help her yeah. with sprinkle.
3: <laughs> yeah, but it, well, we'll talk about it in the cast blog, but that <laughs> that whole situation, she's still up in arms about the way that cat died, and so uh, she does definitely not forget that situation.
0: All right, well, let's go ahead and go on to the next scene. So there is the ultimatum given, 614 rolls around, and when the alarm goes off, Dwight looks to Angela. Angela looks to Andy. Dwight, he has one more ace up his sleeve and calls Phyllis out to the parking lot. She ignored my ultimatum. Now
4: what? Now you move on.
1: Okay, fine. I've moved on. Now How do I get her back?
4: Well, Dwight, I don't think you do. I think you've got your answer. I thought you had some kind of big master plan. Well, I just think we all deserve to be with someone who wants to be with us.
1: Oh, I get it. You're trying to secure your place as head of the party planning committee. You're just being selfish. And you slapped like a girl. What did Phyllis do wrong? I'll tell you what Phyllis did wrong. She stuck her nose into my business and tried to help me.
0: You know, right there at the end, there's the capper there. If you had the Dwight from season one and season two, he would not have seen the irony in that line. He would not have learned anything from that line, but in this episode, right when he says those words, you can see on his face that he all of a sudden realizes that he's been a dick, and that Phyllis has been trying to help him, and so that leads us into what happens next.
3: And did you did you notice that when his alarm went off was when Hank was playing the "Me and the Blues" song?
0: Yeah, I thought that very,
3: was so. And I gotta—I mean, sort of off track, but why was Michael wincing during that? Well, because like, Hank sucks. Just... <laughs> what do you okay. think? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? You Michael sometimes. Hank, yeah, like... we
0: should mention that. We didn't talk about that before, but you're right. Hank, the uh, security guard, is up there selling his CD, which is entitled Hank Doyle is the Blues, <laughs> <laughs> uh, playing blues very poorly, very very poorly indeed. And that is a little corny, perhaps, that it overlaps with Dwight, uh, When the alarm goes off, he hangs his head in in utter sadness while the the crappily (laughs) played blues tinkles on in the background. That scene, though, with Phyllis and Dwight there, uh, I mean, it's a good dig. Still going back to the whole party planning committee thing that we've been running with so far this season. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean, what do you think about that take that Dwight... I don't know, what does it say about him that he kind of realized the error of his ways in this episode? Do you Did you like the fact that he did that, or would you rather see him just be the unrepenting kind of bastard that we've seen him as before?
3: Well, you know, Matt, to be perfectly honest with you, I really didn't get that in the episode, and I was even going to ask you, I didn't quite understand what the story, the deal was with this whole hug thing. So, of course... And once again, I think you've spotted something that I missed, but even after several viewings, I totally didn't get that last take there that you mentioned in that scene in the lobby. So it uh, sounds very plausible, and maybe he was trying to give her a hug back uh, as a way of saying thanks for at least trying to help. So. Well,
0: you have to take it that way, because otherwise the whole ending doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, well, what did you think?
3: That's why what did I was. you
0: think he was doing that? I had no idea. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> That's why you listen to this podcast, Kevin. <laughs> Speaking of which, Dwight realizes the error of his ways. Michael has screwed the pooch and, quote-unquote, lost the tickets. And, uh, well, there's only one item left up for bid.
4: I have my hug.
2: Yeah. Well, Phyllis, nobody really wants a hug, so. I'll bid on a hug. She's your wife, you idiot. $100. <laughs> 200 Uh,
1: What? The hell is happening. Two fifty. What are you doing? I need a hug. Unless you're gonna give me one. Not
2: here. Three hundred. Three hundred going once. Three hundred going
1: twice. Three hundred and one penny.
2: 301 penny! Three hundred one penny. 325! five. Three 350! 350 and one penny! 350 and one
3: penny! 400! Hey better. 401
2: penny! 401 penny! 500! 400
1: 500! 500. 500. 500. 500. 500. 500. 500. 500 and one penny!
2: 501 penny! 1 million
1: dollars! 700! 700 and one penny! penny. Humana That's not worth it. <laughs> you liked that, one million dollars! <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, Michael, it got to be the worst auctioneer in the history of the auctioning business.
3: I did love that line though. She's your wife, idiot.
0: I know he still has the animosity. I guess. Of course, Bob Vance since uh, the but, wedding.
3: But it's also so stupid and ridiculous, right? She's offering a hug, and he's going to bid three hundred bucks for a stupid hug. She's a wife. Well, that's the whole point. Crazy.
0: That's the whole point. You're just giving money for no real reason. You're just giving money. It's for a, you know, it's not like they're bidding on getting a hug.
3: I think Andy Bernard was bidding for a well, hug.
0: Well, he was. I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> I love Dwight's <laughs> bidding style. He liked the classic eBay sniper. Yes. <laughs> $300 in one penny. He wanted that hug, I don't know what, to show his thanks for Phyllis for helping him out. But then, <laughs> yeah, at $1,000, nah. <laughs> it's yeah, not worth in, it.
3: And in many ways, he did help her out, right? I mean, she pulled in... The- biggest lion's share of the the profits there
0: That's uh, true. proving
3: Michael wrong that that a hug could be a way to raise money for an auction so, and if you go
0: back congratulations in that, if you go back and check that scene then again, after he says it's too much or it's it's not worth it and sits down, he gives her the little slow clap and looks right at her with kind of like a nod head nod and a little smile on his face, so he's definitely uh, you know paying her back for for Oliver. Attempted assistance, at least, in this episode. All right, one more plotline left, the Jim and Pam plotline. Kevin, we already talked about it at the beginning of the show that I'm not really happy with the way they're planning things out here. You're not really happy with the fact that Jenna Fish is gone all the time either. So um, this was a little bit of a tease at the beginning here, this whole plotline about the, the part-time job. Um, there is some more that we get in the deleted scene with that, and we'll talk about that just in a second there. But... So let's go ahead and, uh, and take a listen to this first part here, introducing uh, Pam's new job.
4: New York, as it turns out, is very expensive, and I ran out of money. I thought about selling a kidney, but Michael offered to get me a part-time job at corporate. Hey. hey of course, now Michael knows where to reach me 16 to 18 hours a week. Hey, Michael. Hey, Mola.
2: Miss you, kiddo. Miss you so much.
1: So apparently Pam went out last night and accidentally called my work phone at 3 in the morning. So I'm on minute 6
3: of this message. The future mother of my children. So a couple people on the
0: blog page commented on the fact that they thought Pam was acting kind of like a spoiled brat in this scene. What what did you think about that?
3: I think that when someone calls you and says, Pamela, that it's not like you're the biggest jerk if you don't bend over backwards and thank them profusely.
0: Well, I I don't know if I necessarily agree with uh, either of you or the other blog poster, but let's take a look at this so far in season five because if we want to go with the, the whole family, the offices of family metaphor with michael as the father um this does kind of play out like a father you know having his daughter go off to college where she doesn't want anything to do with him thinks he's a dork you know whatever the case may be he's really gone out of his way to deal- he did go out of his way to get her a job
3: how far out of the way did he really go well i mean I can you imagine what would happen hey jim i'm kind of broke let me talk to michael hey michael why don't you get pam a job Michael looks like a hero, but really, is it really Michael's idea or is it Jim's idea that he's planting a seed in Michael's
0: head? Well, you're, now you're just making stuff up. We don't know that. <laughs> well, but, we
3: don't, but isn't that a lot more plausible than all of a sudden Michael finds out and gets her this job? That's this great 16 to 18 hour a week job? I mean,
0: well, I'm sure it came yeah. up. I'm sure it did come up, but he actually did go through and help her. And uh, that was even like the first episode where he ran down the steps with this poem and she wouldn't even listen to it.
3: I, I don't know. Uh, I think he's on. getting a little creepy here, you know? Well,
0: yeah, maybe, but still. I mean, he's annoying and he's obnoxious, but he's, you know, we miss you. What? What's? We do miss her, for Christ's sake. We well, want her that's back. true.
3: We, we do miss her, and especially we miss her actually in funny scenes, because this cold open was really lame, very plotty, of course, and I think a totally missed opportunity to do something... Man.
0: Well, uh, did you think that deleted scene made up for it or or not?
3: Uh, That was all right. I did like the pizza scene.
0: Well, we'll talk about that. But that was more Carell than Jenna Fisher, though, actually. exactly. All right. Well, (laughs) so there's our setup there. We have the whole job plot line set up, which is going to come into more effect next week during Halloween. We have the... You know, Pam is out with her friends till way late at night, drinking and partying in New York plot that comes up. Now, we already talked about the fact that at the auction then Jim bids on going out for the drink with Daryl and the warehouse guys, the the boys in the warehouse hood. Is that how (laughs) Michael put it? And so they're at the bar and they're just kind of chatting it up and Jim goes up to get another round and guess who's coming to dinner?
3: Uh Albert What's
1: up, Roy? Hey, man. Relax, man. I'm not going to hit you. Oh, I wouldn't. You good? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. good. Hey, Daryl. What's happening? Oh. Hey, what's up, guys? You good. What's going on with Pam? Oh, she's good, actually. Yeah? She's, uh, she's in New York. She's at art school. Really? Yeah. She's doing really well. She's engaged to me. <laughs> Congrats, man. Oh, thanks, man. So Pam's happy. Yeah, I'd say he's happy. I mean, she loves her classes. Loves the city. And last night, she was out with her friends till like 8 a.m. Wow. What? You were a friend. I am going to see Pam. Because I feel like I should.
0: Some interesting stuff in there now, Kevin. We've been talking about this for a long time and Ian and I talked about this way back in season three that we thought it was kind of unbelievable that Roy would just be gone that he would have no contact with anybody in the warehouse that he wouldn't know what was going on Um, did this seem plausible to you that it it made it seem like he hadn't seen these guys in a really long time Uh, would it be plausible to you that he wouldn't know that Jim and Pam were engaged?
3: I think it's very plausible, and I certainly think that the way that this scene was written, it certainly was intended to give you the impression that he has not talked to Daryl in a long time. So, which I I like. I think it played well to sort of have him see that sort of reaction of Roy going, oh, she's engaged, and yeah, it's Jim, I guess I better not be a dick about it. But... (laughs) I, I thought that the way that whole thing came down, uh, obviously very coincidental. He comes into the bar when they're in the bar, but other than that, I think it played out very well. And and there was a little bit of a tension there with Jim, and I'm not going to hit you, and time has elapsed, and all that. So I, I like, I really did like that scene. I thought I thought that they handled it fairly realistically, and um, I'm glad to hear the hey what's happening part because I think that did answer some questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad
0: to see that good old Roy found his feet working at the vitamin store.
3: <laughs> exactly. Uh,
0: another paid product placement, Kevin.
3: <laughs> well, you know, I suppose that's a possibility, isn't it?
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, the workplace of homicidal office wreckers.
3: Exactly. <laughs> you know, the one thing I did like about that scene, you know, I've professed my love for Jim Halpert this year on the podcast, I did like the scene where he's, he's driving. He kind of panics a little bit. It's nice to see that even Jim sometimes doesn't have all the answers. He's not quite sure what to do. He just wants to be close to her. He he realizes he may be in trouble, and we see him flying off to New York to uh, make sure that Pam isn't doing the wrong thing. So I, I thought that that part of this episode was well done, and, uh, again, made me appreciate the Jim character even more.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I understand the reason why they brought they they brought Roy back for the simple reason to plant the idea in Jim's head that, as as Roy says, well, you were a friend, and look what happened, you know. And so mm-hmm. Jim, of course, then gets that look on his face, gets nervous, and gets in the car. Um, but I mean, really, Roy was he was never like this really paranoid sort of, oh, I'm worried about Pam kind of guy. That he was the exact opposite of that, in fact.
3: Well, that's because he was so insensitive, right? Jim is <laughs> sensitive.
0: Well, that's true. But So he gets in the car and uh, races off to go to see Pam in, in New York. And, well, he gets to the highway and has to make a choice.
1: No. You know what? No, because... I'm not that guy, and we are not that couple.
0: And that is probably true, but even so, I mean, what the hell? Why not go visit your girlfriend? Why not go visit your fiance, man?
1: Well,
3: I think he's trying to give her the space that, you know, not be the clingy boyfriend. Yeah, I I didn't quite understand that part exactly. I didn't quite quite understand the couple he was referring to there, other than just, I'm not going to be that guy. I guess I get that.
0: I understand that you don't want Roy to be the one to dictate whether he goes to see Pam or not, but, you know, in my mind, I was like, hey, what the hell, go see her. All right, well, speaking of deleted scenes, let's go ahead and dive into the deleted scenes right now. There's two scenes up so far as of Sunday night, and uh, some good stuff, not a lot of laughs, really, but a lot more plot background material that really does help fill in the gaps.
4: What can I do for you, Michael? I'm kind of busy.
2: Oh, I am guess that job that I got you is working out pretty well, then.
4: It is. Thanks again.
2: If there's anything else I can do, just let me know.
4: And, of course, if there's ever anything I can ever do for you... You know what?
2: I would love a slice of real New York-style pizza.
4: If I get you a slice of pizza, are we even?
2: Even as pie. Okay. Don't ask me how I got it. Let's just say... That I have connections. Mmm. Mmm. I'm the godfather. I'm gonna eat this whole pizza. And then I'm gonna kill you. Bell, some cheese. You gotta fold it up. That's the way to eat pizza. I
1: just don't know if he's presidential enough.
4: I know. And how long is CJ gonna spin this whole MS thing? How can Josh and Sam keep quiet? Every night, Jim and I watch an episode of The West Wing together on DVD. Um, He wanted to watch Battlestar Galactica, and I wanted to watch Cranford, so we compromised. Next, we're going to watch Cranford.
1: Cranford? No. We will never watch that.
2: I am going to run three possible date ideas by you, and I want you to tell me which one gets your blood percolating. I'm sure they're all great. I have two sure things, one wild card. I'll start with wild card okay mm-hmm. the wild card is dinner at a nice restaurant uh oh exactly here, here are my sure things. I blindfold her I take her to the Houdini museum
1: she chains me up I think I got a pretty good sense of that one okay yep. alright
2: let's move on to the next number two we go to the mall mm-hmm. go to the bed store I let her choose whatever bed she wants oh that's great and we have sex on. I like wild card are you like wild card I don't know it's a big third date
1: Mm-hmm. Jim, what do I do? you asked her what she wants to do?
2: Well, I thought as the man that I should make the decision.
1: No, oh. you got that backwards. Times have changed, Jim. Our first date was with the Anthracite Coal Museum. We had both been before, but we pretended like it was our first time so we could get all the extra information. And they knew we were faking, so they recognized us, but we made them tell us all the stories and all the safety information. And we corrected them whenever they got it wrong.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You want half a sandwich? Okay. I'll bring you one tomorrow. You've earned it. <laughs> mm. I hope they like fox
0: meat. I'm telling you, Kevin, that's my greatest regret in life is that I didn't go to the Anthracite Coal Museum when I was in Scranton last year.
3: Well, we all have those regrets, <laughs> uh, my friend.
0: I love that Dwight line there. <laughs> all right, I'll bring you one tomorrow.
3: <laughs> Classic Dwight shirt there. I did like that, that p- the pizza thing. That that actually would have saved the cold open from being completely stupid and irrelevant to actually having somewhat of a uh, beginning of a payoff.
0: To actually but, being <laughs> stupid and relevant,
3: you But know, it think, was
0: pretty long. Let's talk about that, though, for people that haven't seen the clips. I got a message from some Canadian viewers asking me to explain the deleted scene. So uh, Michael gets a FedEx package, then, a little envelope with a piece of thin, you know, New York-style pizza wedged in there, and it looks absolutely disgusting. And I don't know if it was overnight or if it was the same-day delivery or, or what the deal was, but, you know, Either way. he unzips it. It's totally mashed and flat and just looks so disgusting, and he stuffs it in his mouth and is just going crazy over it. And, and that's his big even over even as pie now, Pam, for, uh, for me getting you that job. You got me this crappy little wedge of pizza and, and mailed it to me.
3: Well, I did like the line where she she pauses, and if there's anything and he, before she even finishes saying it, he's he's all over that. She knows she knows it's coming, but she played it smart. She said, "Is this you know? Now we're even, right?" And so I think that that's a fair trade—a job for a piece of pizza.
1: Oh come you know, on, stand <laughs> next
3: and rancid <rented> overnight.
0: <laughs> so that was pretty. Uh, yeah, it was kind of disgusting. But let's talk about the second one though. Um, so uh, apparently Halpert's big uh, speech about. Dumbledore, Calrissian, and the Klingons and the Wookiees has got them all fired up to see Battlestar Galactica.
3: Exactly. Now, Matt, have you ever heard of the, the show Cranford?
0: Well, I actually went and looked it up on uh, the Wikipedia, Kevin. I It played on uh, PBS this last year on Masterpiece Theater, and it... Uh, let me just read some of the description here from this. This is based on a series of novels, by the way, um, With its numerous characters and multiple storylines, the series frequently resembles a soap opera, albeit one with comic undertones. Mm
1: -hmm. Set in the early
0: 1840s in the fictional village of Cranford in the the county of Cheshire in northwest England, it focuses primarily on the town's single and widowed middle-class female inhabitants who are comfortable with their traditional way of life and place great store on propriety and maintaining an appearance of gentility. Now, why on earth a male, uh, any male for that matter, would not want to see that show, I cannot say.
3: I gotta say, if Pam thinks that Jim's gonna, you know, watch that, she's gonna have to owe him some favors, you know what I mean?
2: Uh any messages? Yeah, just a have. Oh. is from corporate. How many know, times have I, I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? It's called oh, the white paper basket. Did we get a Uh
4: yeah,
2: the one I didn't uh
4: Get it. You put it in the garbage
2: cabinet with a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was
0: a joke. All right, well, uh, Jennifer Godwin writing for the Watch with Kristen column over at eonline.com posted some news from the office writer's appearance at the Paley Center on October 14th. Most specifically, news about the non-spinoff show starring the newly post-pregnant Amy Poehler. Here are a few tidbits gleaned from Mike Schur. Number one, the show still does not have a name. Number two, Rashida Jones is not involved. Only Polar and Aziz Ansari have been cast. Number three, they're almost done with the script. Pilot to be shot February 09. Number four, the season will be just like the first season of The Office, only six to eight episodes long. Number five, everything else is a secret. So in other words, Kevin, uh, we still don't know much more than we did about five months ago.
3: In last Thursday's Ask Osiello column over at EW.com, someone asked the Spoiler Man a question about it has been in all of our hearts. Question, please tell me the office of keeping Amy Ryan around permanently. She's perfect for Michael. And Osiello wrote, you're preaching to the choir, my dear. Unfortunately, I hear producers have yet to approach Ryan about punching in full time. But maybe they're just afraid of rejection. The Oscar nominee is in high demand and likely keeping your options open whispers an office insider. I think she's hoping to, to do both, but have the flexibility to take a great movie gig when it comes along. And I'll see how it finishes. Here's hoping it never comes along. Yeah, <laughs> I,
0: I gotta say, I, I'm i disappointed in the fact that she is gonna only be here for such a short amount of time has already dictated the plot, but, um, you know, if things change, they can bring her back, and I guess we kind of said the same thing about Rashida Jones, although I don't really ever care if I see her again, but, All right, Kevin, Will, this might bring a tear to your eye, but Ricky Gervais is a no-go for Oscar night. Uh, TV Squad said that uh, while Ricky Gervais has been approached to host this year's Oscar telecast, he has turned it down, claiming that he's too scared to do it and wouldn't want to be hampered by a script. Well, I hear David Letterman is still available. So,
3: Well, if you can't get enough of our brilliant insights, you can follow Matt or me on Twitter. Go to Twitter.com slash SummerMatt or Twitter.com slash Kevin Crossman. Um, get personal updates. Uh, find out when we're recording the show and more. Uh, of course, these are personal accounts, not a dedicated, that's what she said, feed. But go ahead and follow if you are so inclined.
0: Exactly. And you can find out, um, you know, what kind of lunch we ate or what our political leanings are, if that might upset you. <laughs> you might want to stay away. So. In other news, remember that uh, that's what she said. Shirts and mugs are available. Check out the Cafe Press store at cafepress dot com slash twss podcast. All right, well, Kevin, cast blogs here. You want to run us through what we got this week?
3: Yeah, some pretty funny cast blogs here. And again, this I think is a good example of where you have the show, and then there's this ancillary material that helps fill in some of the gaps. A Shrut Space blog, of course, this was called Elderly Island, How to Deal with the Elderly, and written by Dwight, of course. A month ago, my lazy sloth of a great-uncle, Stoffel, invaded my home. The Shruts are obligated to provide lodging for family members, so long as they're willing to hunt, slaughter, and or cure meat in exchange for their room and board. Stoffel refuses to do any work of any kind. He just sits around on our wolf's wolverine-skin couch, drinking tea, reading books, and shivering. The man is truly a 104 year old menace to society. A person should only exist as long as he proves beneficial to his community. Shrewd children adhere to this rule by the age of six or else they're permanently reassigned to a weaker, more tolerant family.
0: Oh, gosh.
3: And and why would Angela not want to marry into this lovely <laughs> bunch of people?
0: Well, that stuff is a pretty slack a day school guy, I gotta say. For
3: a 104 year old guy. Exactly.
0: All right, well, um,. What was going on over at Meredith's Sex in the Electric City blog this week?
3: Well, you know, it's, uh, she's talking about office relationships, and she writes, Rumor has it a certain Hoochie and HR, I won't name names, has got her tentacles around my boss. Even though I have the occasional fantasy that about throwing a brick through her face, I've got to give her some props. It was a good pull, especially for someone with so little meat on her bones. The big question is how she'll play it. Take it from someone with plenty of experience in office relationships. They are nothing but trouble. Things get messy when you blank where you sleep. Better uh, to keep things casual and maybe take an occasional crap where you nap. <laughs> you can avoid all the office drama by dating outside your bubble a little bit. Me, I've been hitting up the unemployment offices lately. I scoop them up when they're destitute, make them feel lucky to have me, and by the time I'm through with them, they're totally motivated to get their lives back on track.
0: Uh, Another gem from Kate Flannery there. All right, well, we have a couple of updates in the Andy and Angela wedding blog, most notably the cake. Angela and I were watching this one episode where they made a cake that looked just like an Egyptian cat sculpture. I've never seen Angela's face light up quite as much as it did when she was watching the assembly of that cake. But when they started slicing it into pieces, she got a wee bit upset. And when they put the leftovers of the cat in the freezer, she was virtually inconsolable. I've never seen someone so concerned about the dangers of freezer burn. So, oh, poor Sprinkles, the cat cake. You know, <laughs> that's kind of funny. I was just imagining that. So uh, Andy's got the big dough. Maybe they're going to get that custom cake from uh, the old Charm City Bakery.
3: Probably so happy that she finally liked something when they had the cat cake. And then when they put it in the freezer, I can just imagine what that was like.
0: <laughs> Head on over to NBC.com slash The Office for more wedding updates. All right, uh, no cast appearances this week. So let's go ahead and dive into the next new episode. Employee transfer. Love always gets in the way. Pam is embarrassed when she's the only person at corporate wearing a costume on Halloween. Holly and Michael take the long trip to Nashua after they get some shocking news from corporate. Meanwhile, Dwight torments Andy and tries to get under his skin. So, as I said, then, next week is our big Halloween episode. Um, I got spoiled for me some of the costumes. I, I wish I hadn't seen it, but, you know, it's, it's pretty amusing, and Creed is definitely disturbing as all hell, so we'll look forward to that next week. <laughs>
2: There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. i got to erase
1: a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff.
0: All right, these comments are in regards to That's What She Said, episode 51, Baby Shower. David Bishop had this to say, I'm still back in fourth season for your podcast, but I just wanted to say how much I like the cover art for this week's podcast. I like that Jim and Pam are separated by something. If you can say that Michael is the office, then I suppose you can say the office is becoming an obstacle for them.
3: Very, very metaphorical. (laughs) <laughs> observation there. Was, it, was that your intent when you drew up the cover um, for that?
0: You know, though that actually, to me, the office isn't what's coming between them. The office brought them together. Going outside of the office, I guess, is what's coming between them. so
3: Well, Phil wrote, your pronunciation of bastard on the podcast was different than I took it on the show. You took it as a two-word sophomoric bad joke. On the episode, I took it as a takeoff on Bastard, given the fact that the baby doesn't have a real father, in her home or in her knowledge thereof.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, I did take it as ass turd because that's how Meredith says it. In fact, right. in the episode. Um, and funny thing, Kevin, in the notes last week for the show, I wrote that out in iTunes censored ass turd. They wouldn't what? let me. They wouldn't let me write the word ass and the word turd. So. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was bleeped out. But anyway, that's an interesting <laughs> point, though. I mean. Phil has a, he's obviously that would make it much more of a higher brow kind of comment. So maybe, maybe we'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. All right. Kelly Joe on the blog page had this to say, I wanted to say Kevin gave the best line that had got me stared at on the school track field for cracking up at the line. Babies are everywhere, Matt. You just need to know where to look for them. So yes, Kevin, you're a wonderful font of witticism. I have to say.
3: Well, it's any time anyone can be embarrassed listening to the show is fine by me. <laughs> uh, Kim wrote, laugh out loud at Matt being a little weirded out by someone thinking of him during the Michael Holly moments. I totally thought of you, Matt. I also thought of Kevin's man crush on Jim. For some reason, I thought of Ian while Jan was breastfeeding. <laughs> laugh out loud. You guys are our office buddies. Of course, those are reference to that. the original co-host, Ian Castleberry. <laughs>
0: I don't know what that says about him, but I'll, yeah, we'll... I'll pass it along, Kim. Thank you. (laughs) All right, well, this is uh, comments from the current episode, Crime Aid. Uh, Jacob Glickman had this to say. I absolutely loved this episode. I thought the whole idea of an auction in the office warehouse was totally realistic. I just wish more community members would have come. It was a perfect opportunity for the other building mates to come and show their support. The that's what she said with the gavel had me rolling on the floor laughing forever. I especially loved the end where Dwight took the hug bid up to $1,000 was this as a thank you for Phyllis or a slap in the face to Bob Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> well, you already heard my take on that, so I don't know.
3: Chris wrote, It's weird that I haven't laughed at much this season because all the episodes have been so plot-heavy, but I don't really care. We've built up relationships with these characters over the years, and now I care more about their well-being than just getting laughs, although extra laughs never hurt.
0: Yeah, that's true, and we've kind of mentioned that before, talking about the different romances and the couples and all the whole drama aspect of the show. It's definitely a, a key part of it for me. Reuben Flagg had this to say, Scranton must be a pretty crime-ridden area for the office park to be robbed that one night the doors are left unlocked, and they forgot to chain the gate, too. Oh, Michael. So, yeah, another reference to what we were talking about earlier in the show. Um, that is, you know what, though, again, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say that this is a... I don't know if this is a good continuity error or not, Kevin, but that was the whole point of Night Out, was right. that they stayed too long, and Hank left, and he chained the gate shut. And they had to call him, so...
3: So maybe maybe it was Hank had some sort of inside job because the CDs aren't selling well or something.
0: I don't know, but that definitely throws off this whole plot here when Michael and Holly stay late and Hank leaves, but yet the thieves are still somehow able to get in. I don't know, whatever. All right. Well, (laughs) well, you
3: know, Matt, every week we talk about whether we love or hate an episode, and for all the people who complain that We don't love every episode. Adam Barker is our poster of the day because he said, For me, this episode was one of my all-time favorites. The jokes are great. The storyline was compelling, not just one or the other. To me, this episode represents why I love the show. Well, I'm glad you loved it, Adam. That was not my reaction.
0: (laughs) Jerome on the blog page had this to say, "Um, I completely agree with killing off a few characters. I was kind of excited when I thought Toby was going to die. Toby's character is annoying and serves no purpose anymore. Same with Andy. His purpose on the show is somewhat convoluted right now, and I wouldn't mind him getting the axe, though he is hot. Here's an idea. Kill off Holly and bring back Jan as regional manager again. We only need one blonde on the show, and she is the more awesome of the two. Let me be clear. When I say kill off characters, I literally mean death, not just letting them go. Um... (laughs) A little dark there, Jerome.
3: That was a pretty weird post that, that no, I'm going to say. I don't
0: know. What do you think about that? I, I responded to him on the blog page that I think it's cliche. I, maybe I've read too many comic books, but I don't want to see people get killed or run over by buses or whatever the stupid thing de jour is to do with them. I mean, I'm perfectly fine with people getting hired and fired and just going out with their lives because that's reality. That's office life. As much as we might want it, Kevin, I, there's absolutely no way that Ryan or Jan are ever going to come back to being regional managers. I, I just not
3: Oh, see it. never say never, my friend.
0: I, I, I agree with it. you. How can, you know, How can it happen? How can it happen? How can she get fired for incompetence and sue the company and then come back and somehow get her job? How is that going to happen?
3: Well, maybe that guy, Michael Scott, could get her a job at corporate. He seems to be doing a bang-up <laughs> job for Pam.
0: Working in the mailroom or something. Yeah, I suppose part-time, 16, 18 hours a week.
3: <sighs> well, I, you know, i got to say that the most important reason not to kill off characters, not because it's mean, but because it means that you can't bring them back for stunt appearances like we had Roy this week. Exactly. Well, Troy also wrote, uh, I wasn't a big fan before, and this season I cannot get into it. This entire show idea was taken from a British documentary, and there you had real normal people in an office situation, and the boss was working for his dream of a music career. I cannot get into a show about alcoholics, perverts, weirdos, and negative, stereotypical Christian women, albeit funny in some cases, coming on TV to become famous. Damn. Troy needs to realize this is not a real documentary.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know how we've gotten through this far. How have you watched four and a half seasons of this show? And, and I don't know. I, I, I can understand. I understand that you can fall in and out of love with many shows, as I have myself quite recently. Um, <laughs> uh, so I understand. But, uh, yeah, it might be best, Troy, if that's the case, to uh, move on to Greener Pastures. Alright, well that's about gonna do it for us this week. Join us in a week or so for episode 53, employee transfer. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to TWSS at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at TWSSPodcast.com. Also remember to join us in the That's What She Said chats on Thursday night. Just go to the blog page, click on that green button on the right-hand sidebar there that says join the chat. And you will be prompted to enter a a login name, and then you'll be chatting with the other, that's-what-she-said listeners. So come on in. I will be there uh, Eastern and Central time. Kevin will come in and take the Western Pacific shift, and I actually stayed in there for about three hours last Thursday. So if you have a chance, please leave positive feedback on iTunes and spread the word in the various The Office-related forums. Every little bit helps. Music for the episode was provided by the Podshow Podsave Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember, head on over to NBC.com/ the office during the week for additional deleted scenes, interviews, cast blogs, episode recaps, and more. And for Kevin Crossman, this is Matt Summer, and uh, let's end off on a note here. Uh, bring it on Bruce) All at a quarter. <laughs> man, I can't get enough of that Bruce Springsteen. I gotta tell you, awesome,
3: it's the power of love.
0: <laughs> it's the power. I do want a new drug though.